Thanks for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange, visit www.theexchange.cc. One of the things I think about at Memorial Day is that we're remembering those who've gone before us, those who served and died for our freedom. But the one thing that I always think about when I think about that is as they were leaving, their moms and their dads and their churches and their friends, they all prayed for those people. Everybody that we're honoring today that died in service, they had a people that were praying for them, praying for their safety, praying that they would come home. And God didn't. God didn't deliver those people. It it creates a, a unique framework for us. It creates this opportunity to... It's just weird. I I don't know if you've had those moments in your life when God didn't. If you have prayed for something and longed for something and dreamed of something and prayed and just knew that God would and God just didn't. Maybe you didn't get the job. Maybe things just didn't work out in the way that you thought that it would. Or maybe just right now life... You're facing stuff and you say, you know what? I knew that God can. And yet it feels like he hasn't. What do we do in our theological box when God doesn't behave and respond in ways that we think that he should? Maybe you know that it wasn't, you haven't been praying this prayer selfishly or with yourself. You're praying for others and you're praying for God to do something incredible in your next door neighbor. And you just haven't seen it happen. It creates a unique experience for all of us because we know that God is good. We're just saying He's a good, good Father. And yet sometimes it doesn't feel that way if we're honest with ourselves. Sometimes He doesn't fit into that box. He he doesn't line up to what we think that He should do. Andy Stanley says this. He says that Jesus told all kinds of parables and stories and he set the stage for a whole bunch of different people. But in order to deal with this issue of when God doesn't, he created a drama. He, he gave a real life illustration that's happening and he actually helped create the struggle to give us an answer or a framework to know what to do when God doesn't. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and we're going to look at the story, or if you're reading it, I'm going to encourage you not to look at the caption there, because as we look at this real-life depiction of what happens in John chapter 11, as we start reading through some of these names, if you have gone to church or been a part of a church or grew up in Sunday school, or if you have some background, you may have heard this story before, and what can happen is you go, oh yeah, I remember how this story ends. What I want you to know is you might know how this story ends, but they don't know how this story ends. They don't know what's coming around the bend, and so that will help you feel some of the drama that happens as we walk through uh, John chapter 11. So, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This was Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the one who wiped his feet with her hair. So his sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. Lord, the one that you love is sick. I love that part of the story. 
There is only a few people that would call me in such a way that would give me that kind of title. My wife, I hope one day that when I'm sick, that she can send word. Actually, if I'm sick, that she can send word to somebody and go, the one that I love is sick. I hope that's what she says about me, right? Ooh, good, she does say that. But this is Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is being described as, as looking at Lazarus. And they don't give him his name. They just simply say, the one that you love. What an incredible picture. And also, it tells about their relationship. I mean, this isn't just somebody. Now, I want you to think, as they are sending out that prayer and sending out that message. And you kind of go into your sanctified imagination and you imagine Mary sitting on this side and Martha sitting on this side. Lazarus is not doing well. He's hurting and he's in pain. And so you know that they're sitting there and they look at him and go, hey buddy, it's going to be fine. We sent for Jesus. Jesus is coming. We sent word. He loves you. He loves us. He's going to be here. You're going to be fine. And everything's going to be hunky-dory in just a few moments. Lazarus, hold on. Jesus is coming, right? Isn't that what you would do? You'd be given these encouraging words. You would know that you know that you know that Jesus is going to deliver, that Jesus is going to come. So in verse 4, when he heard this, meaning Jesus, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So Jesus changes the story right here. Jesus looks at this sickness and this illness and this pain and this frustration and he says, it's not going to end in death. And then he changes it and he says, but it's going to be for God's glory. Now, I don't know about you, but when I go through sickness, illness, pain, struggle, my thought isn't, man, God's glory is great. Do you? I mean, when things get tough in my life and uh, things get hard and I don't get the job or I don't do this or this doesn't happen or this doesn't work out, I'm not sitting there thinking, oh man, I can't wait, man. God's going to receive ultimate glory in all of these things in my life. But here's what he says. This isn't going to end in death, but it's happening so that there is a purpose in this sickness. There is a purpose in your pain. And that purpose ultimately is God's glory being revealed. And so we set the stage and we see all these things happening. Verse 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He's already said that once. Why is that restated right here? I hope when you read scripture that you'll ask questions like, it's an odd bit of information. It seems weird at that point to put this little note in there. Why is he saying that? Here's what I want you to know. If, if that's not there, these next few sentences do not sound like Jesus loves Lazarus, Mary, or Martha. This is stated right here so that you go, he loves them, but this is his response. So in verse 6, it says this. Um, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Why does he stay? I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life when it's like, all right, God, I need you and I need you to show up right now. And when you do, everything's going to change. And God, okay, now's the time. He waited. For two days, 
He waited. His friend, the one that he loves, is sick. He's dying. I mean, it's urgent. This is the same Jesus that they have watched heal people that he doesn't even know. People that were blind, he gave sight. People that were lame, he made walk. People in the countryside, these random people that he comes into, this is not just a random person. This is Lazarus, the one that he loves. And he is crying out. He's calling out, Jesus, I need you. Come. And he waits. For two days, he waits. And then he looks and says, okay, it's time to go back to Judea. And I love his disciples' response. Verse 8. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Can I translate that for you into 21st century American? Hey, they're throwing rocks at you, and sometimes they miss. And if I'm with you, I'm the one that gets hit. Are you sure? Because I got to follow you wherever you go. I made that commitment already. Remember, you said, follow me, and I said, okay. So if you go back, I got to go back too. And if they stone you, I'm going to get hit with some of those rocks. Are you sure? Remember that, that one man that you healed his son and you never went? Can't you do the same thing this time right here? Can't we work this out in some kind of situation where I don't get hit with a rock? Because I don't want that to happen. Verse 9, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Yeah. Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they will see by the world's light. Okay. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. What? Where on earth does this come from? Lazarus is over there dying. You're saying we're going back to Judea. I don't want to get hit with a rock. And now you start talking about walking in the daylight versus walking at night. What are you talking about? You don't make this up. If you're trying to validate a story and and prove who Jesus is and prove that he was the son of God, you don't write random statements in there that Jesus says about walking in the dark and walking in the daylight. This doesn't make sense. It's not in the flow of conversation. This is not good logic, right? Unless he's really teaching a bigger point about what's happening in his whole gospel. See, really what Jesus is communicating that I'm not sure his disciples get, and to be honest with you, I'm not sure that we get either, is, hey, you have a limited time. You have a limited time that you're going to walk on this earth with me. And you're going to do that. And while I'm with you, it's daylight. But hey, in just a few moments, I'm going to be gone and it's going to be dark. And you need this. You need this change that I'm fixing to say, this belief that's fixing to happen, what you're fixing to experience is going to be your candle in a dark room as you walk out of here. You need what's about to happen. That's a whole different frame frame mindset. It's a whole different paradigm. Jesus is changing the game when he says these words. Verse 11, after this, Uh, After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. So his disciples decide they're going to give him a little bit of medical advice. Have you ever given Jesus medical advice? (laughs) You know, hey, I need to help you with it. I'm not sure you fully understand what's happening. So his disciples look at him and they say, "Um, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. You know, I, I've been there. Okay, Jesus, here's here. My grandmother's in the hospital, even even right now as we speak. Okay, J- 
Jesus, here's what you need to do. Man, I can doctor her all, all kinds of ways. I can tell Jesus exactly what needs to happen. Do I need to inform Jesus what needs to happen with my grandmother? No. He's more than enough to be able to handle all of her problems and all of her struggles. He is God. But yet, oh, if he's asleep, he's going to wake up. So Jesus looks back at him and says, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So verse 14, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Now wait a minute. In verse 4, he said, this is not going to end its death. It is so that God's glory can be revealed. And here he says, Lazarus is dead. Is Jesus a liar? At this point as a disciple, you have to be sitting there going, you've already told me he's not going to die. Now you're telling me he's dead. Why are you not shooting me straight? I mean, let's be honest. We get all spiritual and we say, no, I'd never say that to Jesus. Yes, you would. Yes, you would. You said he's not going to die. Now you're telling me he's dead. You sat over here for two days. You didn't go see about him. What in the world is happening here? Their, their circuits are blown. Then he goes on and he says, the most insensitive thing I think that's in all the scripture or that anybody could say. He says this, Lazarus is dead, but for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Jesus, you could have changed this. You could have made this whole thing different. You could have, he would have never died. He'd have not been sick. You could have healed him and he wouldn't have experienced this. His sisters are mourning and hurting and crying. And now we're hurting and mourning and crying too. What on earth can you look at me and say, you're glad that I was not there. And he says, I'm glad that I was not there. Purpose statement, so that you may believe. Again, we find this, that Jesus is digging into something here about belief. But let us go to him. And then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Okay, if you have more than three kids, you have a Thomas in there. You have the one that no matter what happens, it's all bad all the time, right? One of your kids, one, maybe it's your dad, somebody in your family, you have this guy that can look at a situation and go, let us go die. <laughs> We're going to Disney World. There'll probably be a bomb. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's Thomas right here. We're going to die. I mean, of course, in this situation, it's not all that far-fetched. I mean, they were trying to stone Jesus, and they, may, you know. But Thomas is here looking at the situation going, Lazarus is dead. They're trying to kill Jesus. We all fixing to die. Why we go? What's the point? And so he continues verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. There's late. There's fashionably late, and there's, he ain't coming. He died? I mean, they sent for him, he's living. He died? They buried him? Four days, he's been in the grave. When Jesus finally makes his arrival. Small little town, y'all know what this is like. Everybody knows Jesus was supposed to be there. Because you know that Mary and Martha were looking at everybody that came in to check on their brother and said, don't worry, I've sent for Jesus. Jesus is coming. 
He's going to change this. Oh, you know the same Jesus that can heal the blind and the lame and the deaf? Man, he's fixing to do something in my brother's life. You might want to stick around and watch this. I mean, they walk up in the funeral and they're still thinking, hmm, could it be possible that Jesus does something here? But come on now, four days later, they've already run out of funeral food. There ain't nothing left. And Jesus never showed up. How dare he walk in to Bethany at this point? How dare he come up and act like everything's okay? You know everybody in that small town was talking when Jesus walked in, right? Can you believe he's here? After all that we've been... Can you believe that he's now showing up? Times hadn't changed. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Why is Mary home? Why is she home? She's mad! Doggone it, Jesus! My brother died and you could have changed it. I ain't going to greet that guy. Who does he think he is? He doesn't know all those other people. What was he doing? What could have possibly been more important in Jesus' life to keep him from coming here at this point? He loved my brother. He loves me. I thought. I thought that he did, but he sure didn't act like it. I ain't going to meet him. So the um, Lord, Martha said to, to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. I, I really think what happens here, as you see this really playing out, I, I think that Mary started out mad and realized it was Jesus. You ever been there? Man, I'm so mad at you. But you're Jesus. I can't be mad. So, man, if you'd have been here, it'd have been so... Oh, man, but I know you can work all things out. You're good. You're, you're, it's okay. I mean, did y'all sense that too? That she kind of has this, this wrestle. So she, she wrestles through that. She says it. And so Jesus looks back at her and says, your brother will rise again. And I, I personally think that the blood inside of Mary starts boiling at that point. Don't give me some answer about God being good. I'm hurting. I don't want to hear some spiritual pat answer. Just bear hug me and cry with me. Just know, man, this ain't good. Don't tell me about he's going to raise again. And so she goes, I know. I think she interrupts him. I really do. I know she's going to one day at the resurrection, he'll be, he'll rise again in that last day. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am. I think this is a powerful moment in Scripture. I think when he cries out this I am right here, I know he goes on and says some other things, but that word right there, I am, is the same word that Moses spoke, that God spoke to Moses. Who am I going to say sent me? And God told him, I am. You see, Jesus is making a strong claim here. He says, I am. And I believe this is a powerful moment. I think this is the earth beginning to shake moment. I think Mary steps back and goes, oh my goodness. This isn't just a man I should respect. This is God. This isn't a man that just can do something. He can do all things. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Let me ask you that. 
Do you believe this? You see, all throughout this text, Jesus has kept coming back to this belief thing. I'm doing all these things so that you're going to believe. I'm doing all these things so that you're going to believe. I'm doing all these things so that you're going to believe. And then he comes to her and he looks and he says, Do you believe that that I am who I say I am? Do you believe that I am the resurrection? Do you believe that I am the author of life? And so she looks back and says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. After he said this, she went back and she called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been... Uh, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up. They went out and they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And one of the most powerful scripture verses ever, verse 35, and Jesus wept. As I read through all that, and I realize, okay, so Mary's now come to join the party. She sees Jesus. She is just completely grief-stricken and overwhelmed. She has all these people that are with her that are grief-stricken and overwhelmed, and they're crying. And Jesus comes, and he looks at this moment, and he looks at this lady that he loves, and he looks at these friends, and he looks at the pain. And I want you to know that there's a number of different words that could have been chosen here, but the word is wept. You know, the only other word I can think of that would be good here is ugly cry. I think Jesus is in the absolute ugly cry, looking over this situation, looking over people that he loves who are deeply hurting. I want you to know he's already said what's going to happen to Lazarus. He said what was going to happen to Lazarus before Lazarus died. He knows he's going to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows that the end of this story is that they're fixing to see something and they're going to experience something unlike anybody else has ever experienced before. They're going to watch a dead man walk out of a grave. He knows that. That is his purpose. That is his point. That is why he's here. So why is he crying? Why does Jesus cry? In fact, why does he not only cry? Why is he weeping? Why is he in the ugly cry at this moment? Here's the answer. The reason is he is looking at your pain and my pain. He's looking at Mary's pain and Martha's pain. And he is crying. He is weeping. He is with you in your pain. I know you feel alone. I know you feel like you're the only one, maybe even in this room or maybe in your family or maybe even on the planet that understands what you're going through. But here's what I want you to know is that the God of all creation, the God who knows everything, doesn't just leave us on our own. I know at times it feels like he takes his hands off and he waits and he's not there. But I want you to know we serve a God who is intimately, passionately concerned about the details of your life. Even when they hurt for now that are going to be best for you in the long run, he hurts in your pain. He cries in your pain. He weeps over your pain. You are not alone. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could, he, could, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, he came to the tomb 
It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, again, here we go. Martha's going to help Jesus a little bit. You know, because we like to help Jesus. But Lord, wait a minute. And I love the way the King James translates this. He stinketh. <laughs> the NIV says it a little differently. By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. And then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe? Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and he said, Watch this. Before I read the prayer, here's what Jesus is going to do. He basically is going to have this conversation with God. Hey, man, um, you're fixing to do something pretty cool here. But I need them to see me talking to you so that when this happens here, that they won't think it was me, that they're going to know that it was you. Are you ready? On your mark, has everybody seen me? Okay, let's go. So he's what he says. Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of those people standing here, that they may what? Believe that you sent me. So, uh, verse 43, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, and his hands and his feet were, were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And then Jesus said to him, I think this is a funny line, go take off his clothes. Why does he have to do that? Because they're doing the same thing that you would do. That dude's been in there for four days. He was dead. I ain't touching him. Jesus looks and he says, go take his grave clothes off. And so they go and they take their grave clothes off. And then the most obvious part of the whole story, therefore many of the Jews who came to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, they believed in him. You better believe they did. How do you leave that experience with anything other than going, who was that? Jesus has just done what no one else has ever done before. He told a dead man to get up and walk, and that dead man got up and walked. Now, does it make sense when we go back and look at the story of what Jesus is telling these people? I'm glad I wasn't there. Oh, Jesus had something far bigger than healing Lazarus. Jesus was bringing resurrection. That miracle is so much different than just healing a sick man. Jesus had this incredible event planned that is really going to change the course of history and definitely change the course of these 12 men's lives. Was it worth it for Lazarus to die? Jesus said yes. Jesus said yes. Now let me tell you my story. And it's actually my wife's story, but I'm going to tell it. In April of 2014, my wife came to visit me at my, my office. She had stepped into the youth pastor's office. She passed out and she had a seizure. We took her to the ER. They ran all these tests and everything came back okay. They said, you may want to get some further things checked. Go to Baptist in the morning. We came down here to Jackson. We were in, in Scott County at the time. We were at the Cups there on Lakeland Drive. Uh, me, her, and one of her friends... In the middle of drinking one of those cups of coffee, she passed out again, had another seizure. We called the ambulance. They got her on the ambulance, took her to Baptist Hospital. Over the next three days, she had about 37 seizures, um, one after another. Some of the most horrific times of our life. During one of those seizures, she stopped breathing. They hit some button in that room. 
People came running out of places in that hospital that I didn't know exist. I, when those buttons get hit, I don't know. I, there were people that I've never seen before just flooded this room. They escorted me out, and I'm sitting in the hall, and I'm in the ugly cry. I have no idea what's going on. I'm mad. I'm scared, and I'm beating on the door, just praying my heart out. It was the scariest moment of my life. Never experienced anything else like that one moment. A few days later, we're still at Baptist Hospital. We've now moved to the fourth floor. I'll never forget that room. I got a phone call from a lady from Inglewood Baptist Church. And man, this talked to her for about an hour and a half, uh, pacing the halls outside, looking out the windows. And I remember talking to her, and I remember her saying, Scott, the battle that you're facing with your wife right now is a spiritual battle. God is at work, and, and this can only these kind of battles can only be fought on your knees, and only God can do this. And I want you to know, I got, I could hear the Rocky music playing, you know, man, I got pumped, and I got stoked, and I turned Baptocostal, dude. I walked into my wife's room, and I came behind her. She was facing the window. I was standing behind her. I had my arms wrapped around her. She had a friend sitting in front of her, and I said, this may be uncomfortable, but we got to do this. We're going to war. And man, I, I surrounded my wife and I held her. And I'm telling you, I prayed with everything that I know in me. Man, I've been through seminary. I've been through all these things. I've pastored churches. And I'm telling you, I prayed with more boldness. I prayed with more assurance. I prayed more scripture than I've ever known before in my life. I don't even know the scriptures that I prayed. God was just pulling stuff from everywhere. It had to be one of those moments with the Holy Spirit working through me. And man, I left going, or I'm holding her going, God's fixing to do something unbelievable. And I'm claiming it. I'm telling God who he is and I'm telling him what he can do. And we woke up the next morning and nothing had changed. Nothing. For the next three months, my wife was in and out of hospitals. And we're looking at this and we're exploring this. And we're trying to figure this out. We're working on this. We're doing medications. And we finally get to some level of what we call stability. During that moment, there was a, she was at a hospital in Memphis. Um, I, I was driving up to see her. I was having this conversation with her doctor. Is this it? Is this the new normal for my wife? Has everything that we've been through, I mean, is, is this just, is this what it is? That's the conversation I'm planning on having with their doctor, and I got a phone call. A phone call is from a guy by the name of Andrew Mann. He's at Graffiti 2 Church. Uh, it's in the Bronx in New York. He had no idea what I was going through. He just called me and he said, hey, do you remember, and he named this guy. I said, Yeah. So I knew that you had connected with him a few years ago. I just wanted you to know that I'm meeting with him today and he is scheduled to be baptized Sunday. He said, I know you had played a part in that faith journey and I just wanted you to know. Thanks, Andrew. Man, I, I needed that. I hung up the phone and within minutes, my brother, who's actually my stepbrother, um, he is the son of my, my actual stepdad, but I call them all dad and brothers and all that. But he called me. And in that moment, I said, hello. He said, hey, Scott. I said, hey, Jason, what's going on? He said, man, listen, I was just on the phone with Dad. And when I was talking to Dad, Dad said, you need to pray for your brother. Scott, I just wanted to call and, 
and check on you. There was something powerful about that moment that it was not, hey, you need to call and check on Scott. Hey, you need to check on your stepbrother. He called me brother. I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but for whatever reason, at that moment, in those two instances happening back to back, it was almost as if God audibly spoke and said, I am hurting with you. I am weeping with you. You are not alone. I went up and the doctor assured me that no, this is not the end of your wife. She's going to be fine. We're going to get through this. We went on for several months after that until finally we got to September. We got to September and we had been in this process for a long journey at that point. But in September, uh, the book of Ezekiel describes it this way. It was Ezekiel walking through a valley of dry bones and God looks at that and Ezekiel says, prophesy over these bones. And as he prophesies over those bones, the bones start rattling. And I want you to know, in September of 2014, my wife's bones started rattling. All of a sudden, there became some signs of life within her. All of a sudden, some things started coming together. All of a sudden, as my son Andrew would describe it, she became the mom who danced in the kitchen again. You could see the, the light bulbs coming back into her eyeballs. And all of a sudden, there was these signs. And what we were watching was this sign of resurrection. You see, the truth is, and I would have never told you this had this happened, but the truth is, if in Baptist Hospital on the fourth floor, if my wife would have been healed instantly, the truth is, I'd have walked out of there and I said, I, mean, I got the healing prayer. I got this connection with God. When I pray, God moves. I'd have never told you that, right? Because I'm too humble. I'd have kept that inside of me. God went through this whole journey so that as we walk through this, that it's God that receives glory, that it's never about what I can do. It's never about what she can do. It's all about God's working in and through our mud and our muck, that God is the only one who can receive glory out of our lives. At the end of the day, Mary and Martha had nothing to do with Lazarus being raised from the dead. Lazarus didn't do anything. It's all about Jesus receiving glory ultimately from the Father. You see, the truth is, every one of us in this building, we all have our story where God didn't. We all have those moments when we knew what He should do, but He didn't. The truth is, most of us on Sunday mornings or on Wednesdays or on Mondays or whatever day it is, we want to button it up and act like everything in our life is okay, pretty, clean, and normal, right? Can I tell you, don't believe the lie. Don't believe that everybody else around you has it all together and you better get it together too. None of us have it all together. That's what the incredible message of this gospel is. We're all broken. We can't fix it. He says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. It's never about what you can do. It's always about His glory shining through you and healing your brokenness. I love the fact that this story ends with everybody around looking, going, I believe him. Not Lazarus is great. Not Martha is great. Not Mary is great. Not look at all the mourners. Look at how people loved him. They all leave going, that dude is somebody I want to give my life to. Maybe you're here today and you're going through a tough time. 
Maybe God hasn't for you. And you've been praying and you've been searching and you've been longing and you say, God, I know that you can. Why, why does it feel like you're waiting? Why does it feel like you're a million miles away? I'm, I'm in pain. I, I need you to hug me right now. And I don't even feel like you're here. Here's what I want you to know. You can trust Him in the middle. You can trust Him while you wait. You can hold the promises that this isn't going to end in death. Even though He's dead. Because you know that He holds the end. Maybe you have a story Maybe you have a story that, honestly, you've always been scared to tell. Maybe God's calling you today to start sharing your story. Can you imagine as Mary and Martha start sharing this story with people? Can I tell you? You just heard it from them. They shared their story of when God doesn't. Maybe it's time for you. Thanks again for listening to this message. For more information about The Exchange or to find out how you can connect with or support what God is doing, visit www.theexchange.cc. Now go, be the church, and give life.